night, it's 2 a.m. in New Orleans, the Big Easy, and we're stirring up that gumbo. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with shiny suit wearer, Jeb Lund. Hello, Jeb. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> all for all say, detective. Oh, oh God. Okay, so uh, we are talking about The Big Easy, as you probably gleaned, Um just in case you're not familiar, it is set in New Orleans, Louisiana. Ooh, it's a fish, what a fish. I guarantee. <sighs> I mean, you can't get away. You can't get away from it. But speaking of things you can't get away from, we have some pod business to address, I believe, before we get into the plot summary, such as it is, of the film that we're talking about today. Jeb, what do you have for us? like i'm still i'm still not ready to get into it i um i mean I, as as we discussed in the last one i did listen to the denissance I, uh-huh. I went back and i checked i listened to 26 seconds of the denissance uh-huh. okay and i'm just you know i'm not there a part of it was i was supposed to have an assignment to go to miami to one of trump's golf courses to a convention center ballroom the trump ballroom to cover a, a festival of uh, the the American right. And uh, I was really scared I was going to die uh-huh. uh, because this was a group of people who are, let's say, like ideologically committed to not wearing masks and judging from all the photos on Instagram, Twitter, and Flickr, of which there were, I think, 43 original ones for three whole days, which tells you how the attendance went after mm. the big guy got covid <laughs> Um, according to all those photos, there there were only four people wearing masks there, and I don't know what their names are, but I know that all of them answer to the word wife. Um, just some really long-suffering looking people. So I was really focused, like, very much on, um, you know, in part because the, the next movie we were going to watch is Inner Space. I was focusing a lot on my inner space and building up a lot of defenses, uh, uh-huh. just trying to send positive energy toward my T-cells. Yeah. And just to get them ready. You know, and so I wasn't really ready to be like recreationally upset about a podcast because it seemed <laughs> right. like there were more pressing things. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, should we talk a little bit about how it's a good thing that we didn't bet on something? Sure. Okay. Um, so as we record this, uh, late last week, I was um, having my car's inspection sticker updated. Who has more fun than I do? And uh, the waiting room at this place had like the, I don't know how many fucking hours the Today Show is now, seven, why not? Um, But they were letting us know that early this week, Dennis Quaid would be on in the third hour of the Today Show with a very special announcement. Got the car inspected, trundled home, rolled into Slack and informed Jeb that I would bet him that this was going to be Dennis Quaid's young wife being pregnant. Um, But he wouldn't take that bet because he's a smart guy. Well, turns out (laughs) I was wrong. He he should have taken that bet or someone should have. Not that she's not pregnant, but the announcement was actually that Penelope Ann Miller is playing Nancy Reagan and to his Ronnie, if they ever finish this thing. So that's my Quaid business for the day i also haven't listened to the denisons because i don't want to be recreationally upset about anything for any reason 
here in October of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. No, see, the outcome of that bet, though, I'm psyched for that. I mean, like, I'm a longtime Penelope Ann Miller booster. I don't know what you would you would call, like, being really disappointed that it seemed like she hit the freshman and then everything just sort of went down. Yeah, she was like a, her. She was on the verge and it never verged. Right. And I don't know if it was like, uh, you know, just she looks too ethnically Irish and not sort of like Barbie-ish to be in movies. She's definitely outstanding. Like, so it's good to see her back doing stuff. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know how it's going to work out, like how much chemistry you can have with a, a guy who by like every reasonable account was going through Alzheimer's at this point. I don't know. Like what, how, how do you kind of like play off each other when one person is obliged to not be there? Might be tough for, but <laughs> well, I mean, without without shading Quaid's acting, um, do we have any concept of what what the reach of this project is in terms of the timeline? Is this only his presidency? I would imagine just from the casting, because we would have heard if there was somebody younger, because the look changes enough. I don't think you can, or they would have had to announce like which you know, which techies at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory were going to pull their wrinkles back in the first third of the movie. Like, uh, well, but I mean, now they can just use Jack Quaid. Like, he really does look like his dad, so. Mm, I don't know. Like, I, I see way more of his mom in there. Like, the chin, you know, is in his angular. His face is is flatter. His dad has more dimensions to his, the bridge of his nose, his nose and his, his upper jaw. Um, well, he did. His, he, he, <laughs> yeah. And well, his nose is also snubbier. It's almost like a little animated, like, I, I always think of that as like the little sorority girl nose. Like it's a sort of nose that, you know, in, in previous decades, women paid good money to have. And, yeah, and it just, sure. it's so, it's so cute and demure compared to dad's. Yeah. Dad's is a hook. It's a beak yeah. for sure. It's got a um, honker. Yeah, yeah. It's weird how Jack Quaid like is an exact hybrid of his parents that netted out somewhere at very early pacey witter but <laughs> it's i mean it's not a complaint i'm just saying every time we're watching the boys it's like that is eerie i mean i i just don't know how much i am gonna say have to say about the actual topic today because i don't think nearly as well of this movie as like as anyone seems to Still, never mind at the time it received almost uniformly positive reviews. Um, oh, yeah, that's I, surreal. Ebert's quote is like, I was reading that and I was like, what fucking movie did you watch, dude? I don't like every now and then he would just like come out with this review that you're like, how baked? Like, I don't think he was like he was in recovery. I'm assuming he was smoking a ton of marijuana in the 80s, but I don't know. But it's like yeah. his review of uh, Tomb Raider he gave it like seven stars. I was like, oh my God, like I can hear your boner throbbing. Just admit it. Yeah, no. And that's, that's actually, when we get to the contemporary reviews, I would like to talk about that. And it, look, as long as we're talking about boners, I think probably the reason why the legacy of this is what it is, is that, I mean, it is, I remembered, I haven't seen this since I was probably like 10. Yeah. It, it was in, my mom had three crushes in the 80s and she would always grade papers to, you know, movies from their oeuvre. Oeuvre. Um, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson and Dennis Quaid. Like okay. she just had a real palpable crush on all three. And so, you know, there's a lot of like 
the Mad Maxes and the Year of Living Dangerously in the house, and there was the right stuff and Breaking Away and mm-hmm. this a lot, and obviously like all the indie movies and whatever. But like, I remember this as being staggeringly horny. Like in that '80s span of, I guess that begins in like the long '80s of like the last Tango in Paris all the way up to like, I think Mike Michael Douglas just starts to embody like the the ultra horniness of 80s sex scenes uh-huh and then like disclosure winds up being the capper on it yeah like a of, of the long 80s but this like sits dead in the middle and i remember it just being like overwhelming I mean, like as as a prepubescent male uh, you know who isn't surging with hormones but who nevertheless didn't have a latency period i remember being like this is a bit much for me <laughs> I need to not watch this. I can't like if my mom if I come in the room my mom and my mom is watching it I need to like turn around and go. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I think everybody gets turned on by it and then it effaces things and like again we can talk about this in relation to Ebert but like I can imagine that goes a long way but coming into it with a critical eye and where that's not going to be a surprise. I mean I pretty much from the from minute 1 I was like is this a joke? Yeah. Kind of. I mean, all right, we'll we'll get into it in a more micro way. Let's do a quick plot summary in case, you know, this you weren't one of the people who saw this several times in the 80s or like your parents had HBO and it was somehow on a few times in evening. Uh, good old J26 on IMDb does a pretty good job to wit. Remy McSwain reckons he's an honest cop, though he's happy to go along with the kickbacks from the precinct Widows and Orphans Fund. When it comes to murder, he's definitely on the right side and is irritated to find his latest investigation being followed by Ann Osborne from the DA's office. Out of work, they hit it off pretty quickly, making it difficult for Ann to handle when his more questionable activities come to light and she has to prosecute him. In turn, McSwain starts to suspect that he's investigating something more than mob slayings. End quote. Um... So it's supposed to be a straight-ahead, sexy thriller of the 80s, which Ellen Barkin was in another, I think, fairly notoriously sex-scened one with Al Pacino. Right. I can't remember the name of it, but I think the the so-called kink there is that they do it standing up. Like, it's sort of weird that, (laughs) you know, diner lady ended up uh ended up having this be part of her lane but again like the contemporary reviews seem very charmed by this in a way that suggests to me that in the days before i don't know the internet the travel channel the idea of new orleans was foreign enough to most people that this did not read as quite such an Epcot iteration of the city, which, full disclosure, I've never been there. I guess I should go before it washes away. But th- there is definitely yeah. something to these reviews that they don't say New Orleans is a character, but you can tell they're thinking it. And it's like, but is it? Like, is this is this really New Orleans or is this like cartoon New Orleans? It's well, like Tipitina's is real. It's a real place, um, sure. you know, geographically where they are and, you know, what they're doing. Um, people playing music at a big family get together and, you know, boiling a shit ton Crawdads, of crawfish or something. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, that's all legit, but like it is, I mean, you, Epcot is the best way of describing it. Um, 
or the briefest way actually the one i wrote down was like it's you know when you you take like french in in high school or spanish and you have to watch like a series of videos where like i, I took french so it was Mireille and robert and uh Mireille's sure. little sister marie-laure and you would watch their like insipid adventures around uh different like internationally recognizable locations uh-huh. and this feels like if you are french this is the shit that you watch in english class uh-huh like because it is french culture and you're like oh i recognize that and they're speaking a bad version of my language but it's like the detective story that plays in the background and it's not you're not really solving who did it you're solving what esl word you use in this se- this sentence right <laughs> that was I mean, I don't know. I've been to, you know, New Orleans. You could you could drink there if you were eighteen, mm. um, for quite a while. I know my my friends did, and uh, <laughs> I went over there a ton. My wife lived there. Um, this is like, <laughs> this is, I don't know. It's like the silk stockings version of New Orleans. It just seems like I was thinking of silk stockings. God, yes, yeah. <laughs> and this, I think they tried. This became a TV series, which I didn't know until I was uh, researching it for this episode and it the um poster art for the single season of this uh starring literally nobody you've ever heard of in the key roles and then barry corbin (laughs) picking up a check uh yeah (laughs) i mean it looked very silk stockings-y except the lead guy is like i've again never heard of this person and seems to be the egg noodle and ketchup version of (laughs) the original let's read some contemporary reviews here's vincent canby who even in the headline is like this you know raunchy comedy like he doesn't use the word raunchy but like this erotic comedy thriller like comedy larry zonka Uh, i mean maybe it was maybe you asking if this was a joke was apropos here's canby Quote, Remy McSwain, Dennis Quaid, is a tough, fast-talking New Orleans police detective who isn't above accepting free meals from all too obliging restaurants. They're the perks that go with the job. Anne Osborne, Ellen Barkin, is a pretty, sexually repressed assistant district attorney assigned to investigate police corruption. Remy and Anne are made for each other, or would have been if the Big Easy were the sophisticated comedy it could have been. The first third of the Big Easy, in which Remy attempts to seduce the not entirely unwilling Anne, has the frantic pacing and something of the hard-boiled humor of Howard Hawks' classic His Girl Friday. After that, however, the Big Easy must attend to a frequently inscrutable story about a New Orleans drug war, most of which takes place off-screen, but which successfully upstages the attractive leading characters. End quote. Um... Here again, I don't understand what movie was being consumed. It's not, I mean, it's the same vibe uh, like I got from the Ebert one, but you should probably go ahead and read that one too. Yeah. Um, As I said in my notes, Ebert adored it and may he rest, but I guess he watched the version with the good dialogue and the unsexist tropes. Here's a quote. The Big Easy is one of the richest American films of the year. It also happens to be a great thriller. I say happens because I believe the plot of this movie is only an excuse for its real strength. The creation of a group of characters so interesting, so complicated, and so original, they make a lot of other movie people look like paint-by-number characters. 
Lies. Uh, this movie takes place in New Orleans, that most mysterious of American cities, a city where you have the feeling you never will really know what goes on down those shadowy passages into those green and humid courtyards so guarded from the street. <clears throat> he goes on to praise that sex scene as, quote, one of the most erotic love scenes I have ever seen in a movie. All the more erotic because the two lovers do not perform like champions in the sexual Olympics, but come to bed with all the insecurity of people who are almost afraid to believe it could, this time, be for real. End quote. Um, I am not, I don't entirely agree with that assessment. I feel like the movie uh, imagines Remy as Annie's bone padrone here and throughout the movie, but... I won't disagree with that specific note. Both of these reviews will be in the show notes. Um, I called that scene in my notes the um, f- the finger blast that stole Christmas. Um, <laughs> I just like Ebert's point is taken. Like at least it's not the like L shaped sheet, blowing curtains, carefully choreographed pneumatic late eighties thriller sex scene fine but in that scene that scene is like a microcosm of the whole movie which is so condescending about her needing a deep dicking and like everything else can just be in the background until she i hesitate to use the term falls prey but actually now that i think about it it fits because Remy is consistently like in her space, harassing her, not taking no for an answer. She's constantly in these situations where he's like looming over her or he sends his uncle to like pick her up and bring her to a crawdad boil. Like I, I hate the way this movie thinks about her and treats her. I think it's gross. I think all of that is true. And I think it, sucks even without that reading i mean like i'm not i'm not saying like you know obviously look at it through you know the woker lens of today because like it really reveals like just how little of um like charm or sexiness or you know even of like just you know travel envy is going on in this movie like you know i at this point why would this be an escape you know you can a figure out about new orleans from like watching youtubes of actual new orleans or B, your option is you can watch this like weirdly hermetic movie where it is authentically filmed on location, but feels more like just three different sets and some guy just like not leaving a lady alone. Yeah. Um, And like, this is an ADA. Like she's really getting sick at the sight of a dead body. Like, where did she transfer from? Mayberry? Did she transfer? Is she even new? And why is the New Orleans of it what she needs versus any other big city, honestly? I don't I don't even really know how to get a handle on what her character is supposed to be doing in any given scene. Like, I have three different notes at three different times about how I sort of feel about it. Like, at the beginning, I can sort of see what Canby is getting at because everybody in the, the initial scenes in the finding the body and then being at the police precinct, they are overbroad and almost screwball-y. Everybody's like intensely over everyone else but then it just sort of um settles into her intermittently being frightened or standing there pouting with her nose being scrunchy yeah and then the whole of it seems to be 
this is an ADA who is terrified of boys and adults um, in between bouts of being like sex drunk on the fact that, you know, the upperclassman she's dating finger banged her. I mean, it is really just like infantilizing and sucky as like a character. I don't understand why she's in the movie. She's getting hoodwinked by the most obvious person in it. Yeah. At, at certain points, the movie seems to be aware or writes her as aware that this is how she's seen by like the big kids, but then it loses its nerve or doesn't know how to write her consistently to, you know, people can contain multitudes. Anyway, here's a clip in which I was like, yes, exactly. But then the the movie continues to be amused by her and her, you know, wanting to give meaningful consent and be taken seriously in her job. Anyway, here's the clip. And don't think that I'm naive, Lieutenant. I know the way the system works, but things can change. Oh, yeah? You're going to change it? Don't you dare be amused at me. Yeah, stick that landing, Annie. Come on. Ugh. It's just so, like everything about it, the pearl necklace, the overly tight hair chignon, like it's just trope central and the amount of exposition that they're all dipping in like i don't even know goya cajun tm and then disgorging (laughs) on the floor of the squad room like it is some clumsy ass shit it's not a good thriller it's not good at being erotic it's not good i don't i don't understand how people were charmed by this i just don't see I mean, I think that's the power of horniness, right? Like if you're that horny for Ellen Barkin and, you know, in this scene, it is real enough to feel like there's, I think, less of a barrier between you and cinema. And I think if you want her enough, like she becomes more complex and like the self-insert character that you then depend on of Remy winds up seeming less um, oafish and repellent. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like there there has to be that kind of projection because I don't know how else you come out of this movie not hating everything around that scene like you have to get pretty pretty horny drunk on that i guess i mean there were things to like about this film including it's a short list at the top is ned Beatty's crawdad hat i like that yeah or ned Beatty. yeah like number two for me yeah He's good in this. Um, John Goodman is like, you know, has one and a half dimensions, which for a man of his size is actually a pretty neat trick by the script, but he's good. I also enjoy, I also enjoyed the insertion of like, if you're going for local celebrity imprimatur, like by stunt casting an actual person as himself, Mm -hmm. this is who you pick? Clip three. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Criminal District Court, Section A for the Paris of Orleans is now in session. The Honorable Jim Garrison presiding. And it's the actual fucking Jim Garrison. <laughs> I actually paused it and was like, no, I'm not going to like this movie. No, no movie. Bad movie. No biscuit. <laughs> but I mean, that's like, that's so weird that it's almost charming to me. Almost. That I was like, Garrison? That's who you pick. You couldn't find some relative of Antoine somewhere. Well, I mean, so- I don't know if he's from there, but Solomon Burke is in it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, like, the the Solomon Burke. He's he's one of the drug kingpins that gets whacked, the big oh, heavy one. Oh, yeah, okay. But there's, like, 
there's nothing. And I was waiting. I was like, what's going to be Solomon Burke about this? Am I going to get something for knowing it's Solomon Burke? Am I going to? And then no. I mean, it wasn't like they could have just had like all 26 of his kids in the scene too, <laughs> you know, and then I would have been like, now I know who this is. <laughs> I don't really have that much else to say. Garrison, I, <laughs> Garrison really clawed it back and then it, then it went under again. I actually, there is a third thing. I thought the, um, sort of like not chase scene, but the climactic waterfront scene with like flare guns and swimming around. I thought that held up. Okay. I thought it was pretty tense Yeah, for I this mean, movie. It, and there's, there's parts of it that are pretty to look at. I mean, both the, the actors and just like, okay, well, you know, they, they had a shooting budget and they were on location. Thanks for doing that. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, should we talk about Quaid's accent now or should we rate the film overall and then move on to the to accentry in the Quaidosity section? Let's rate the film overall. Would you like me to go first? I'd love it. Great. <laughs> two and a half. <laughs> okay. I was going to say two. So you went over me. I, uh... I mean, I'm just trying to think of the things that I rated last season as two, and they all, I think almost all of them made me less uncomfortable. Um, maybe not. I don't remember. But like, I remember given the long writers like a two or a three, you know, just for like not knowing what it was about. And yeah, and um, yeah, not being all that quaity. This was just like yeah. <laughs> for a for a movie that's probably going to be in the lead of his obit. This is not good. It's just not pretty quaity though um it is for whatever that's worth uh i'm gonna play a clip which is it kind of encapsulates just the you're supposed to find his like kind of sustained beleaguering of her into um opening her legs to new orleans culture cute and quaid almost sells it because he's quaid but then I mean, look, I am not an expert at the New Orleans accent, but it's not Texas with a lot of the word share thrown in. It just isn't. And uh, here's here's a little of what you're dealing with. So we're here to discuss business. Oh, business and pleasure. What's wrong with that? No, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, didn't they dance where you come from? No, he barely spoke. Well, this is New Orleans, the hard to big easy. Down here, dancing's a weird life. Come on. There are times when I feel like the New Orleans accent, as I identify it, is this weird, like, um, hybrid of, like, if someone Quebecois and someone from New Jersey had a kid and it got stuck in your throat, that's kind of the yep. New Orleans accent. He almost gets, like up under it a couple of times but mostly he's just being like french texan and saying sugar and it's yeah i mean it's not the easiest accent and if you're not doing it right don't like don't bother doing it just be from texas it's it's not far there are plenty of people in new orleans who sound like you there are plenty of people yeah. in new orleans who sound like me yeah. but you're right about that that kind of like that New Yorkese, I mean, it was a major port. It got all the same immigrants that New York did, except they were just sort of being softened by this Frenchified and laconic American English. So it does have that weird kind of like Brooklyn staccato yeah. in it. And then it, you know, it, with coated in honey and glaze, you know. 
Um, let me let me ask you this: Does it also feel like a New Orleans resident calling it the Big Easy is like I, I someone don't know. from San Francisco calling it Frisco? That yeah, is exactly that sounds like- exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah, it like this really does. I mean, like a lot of the dialogue sounds like it was written by the New Orleans Tourism Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that especially, like dancing's a way of life. Like I can't imagine like, like ever invite having pack somebody, it up. I'm leaving. <laughs> right, right. But like, if somebody came to visit me and I was like, "Well, welcome to Tampa. Uh, we're gonna have to go do this thing because that's a way of life here." Like. No, I mean, like you have neighbors. You probably can't go down a single block without finding somebody who absolutely defies every stereotype of your city and has been there longer than you. So, like, that is just so forced. And it almost, I mean, it draws attention to the fact that that accent is just, I mean, occasionally, like, there's three different parts of the movie where I was like, oh, he's got it. And then it just slipped away. And the rest is just laughably bad. Yeah. So much so that I, I looked it up. And there's an article from the New York Times, uh, sorry, New Orleans uh, Times Picayune that like the the headline does not really convey what was in it. But he basically, when explaining his accent, says, I was on a lot of cocaine. Yeah, I feel like that keeps coming up in terms of like when you're Googling like various performances of his and it's like, you, you know, you really captured the frenetic energy of such and so. And he's like, cocaine, like, okay great like actually this was a compliment are you sure you don't want to revise your mention of narcotics no the other thing that was killing me through the whole movie was my wife had lived in new orleans for a while before i met her but like not so long that she didn't still have like some kitschy new orleans stuff and so she had a a new orleans like soundboard pendant kind of thing on a keychain oh yeah (laughs) so you know, for the first, I, I for like, some reason owned that, and uh, I used to enjoy sneaking up on people when I worked in an office, and then pressing the "I love you like a pig loves corn" button. Loves corn, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, the "aye," and the like Ooh, that was shit. another favorite. Uh huh. Yeah, I missed that thing. <laughs> and yeah, I could not stop thinking. So I'm so glad that you had one of those. Like, I just kept thinking <laughs> of my wife pressing that in like her fucking busted ass like Nissan. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so that was better or worse than his accent is that where you were going i think it was better okay yeah Yeah, agree but uh i think i don't know i think he's around a seven in this because he's so quady like he is and this is really kind of real you know like he's he's got an annoying character but he's softening a lot of it and making it more tolerable i don't know i could be wrong what are you thinking um i want to play one more clip just to like work through some feelings about him as a thespian before I got promoted, I used to be a bag man for Kellum. Just nickel and dime stuff. You figure it's the system. That's not gonna make any difference if you take a few hundred here and there. You figure you deserve a good life. But these are living for doing a dirty job. Tell yourself you can be just as good a cop. I mean, he's he's really selling it. The writing is terrible. This this isn't how cops talk or think about themselves. I don't think. Um, 
but he seems legitimately stricken. Basically, his sort of shady behavior has almost gotten his brother killed and then kind of pants his stepfather to be as a big time crooked ass villain played by Ned Beatty. And so he's really selling it. But the scene is almost entirely there to get him and Anne back together. And he's wearing a lot of gold chains. And I, um, like, I, I think he's acting a lot without necessarily acting all that well. But for Dennis Quaid, this was pretty good. There's only so much he could do. And, but I kind of expect more from him to tamp down the nuisance part of his character. But it's, I mean, he's, he's doing the work. And, and so much of, like, Quaid is a, an indefinable charisma. And the fact that people still think this is a good movie, I think, suggests that it has to be, you know, above the five and and rounding for for so like seven and a half or something you know yeah no no i agree i would say um the character is just kind of a pest honestly and repellent but you're absolutely right that because it's played by quaid we have a different like cultural and institutional memory of whether this is good and he he does elevate it in spite of a bad accent. He does elevate it somewhat. And like I said, this will be in the first two sentences of the obit. So I'm going to go eight. Okay. Where were you? Seven and a half or just straight? Yeah. So like we'll just round it up to eight for the whole for the joint rating then. Okay. I don't know. 7.5 plus eight, you know, the average. All right. Well, I don't really have uh, much else to say about this. I'm relieved that you found this neither erotic nor thrilling because (laughs) Ebert, (laughs) just go to the bathroom, take 90 seconds, figure it out, come back. Let's talk with adults. Next time on Quaid in Full, Inner Space. In the meantime, get all the local stunt casting intel you can stand in our show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod and get even more Quaid content on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Throw on a pearl necklace and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Had to. (laughs) 